I did get it. I did read it. And it was very interesting. All right. John 21. And the reason we're going to do Galatians next is because I'm finding... I just think that's where we ought to go next. I mean, well, I was going to give you a reason, but we really don't need no reason. That's what we're going to do. That's a good book to talk about the freedom that we have in Christ over against the law. And that's one of the main issues with a lot of new Christians is the law and the gospel and grace and the law. And and Galatians is going to explain to us exactly about the freedom that we have in Christ and who we are in Christ and and, and that kind of thing. And plus, it's only six chapters, so it ain't like it's going to take us a year. It'll probably take us seven, eight weeks, a couple months, and then we'll go to another book, maybe Acts, maybe Hebrews. I'm weighing Acts and Hebrews after, after Galatians. So right now we're going to do the last chapter in John chapter 21. It's very interesting uh, because this chapter... It brings three different episodes together that point back to episodes that we've already seen in John. And what Jesus is doing here is, of course, this is his last appearance to the disciples in the book of John. Um, but what he's doing is he's showing them he's showing them how to be fishers of men, and he's showing them what they need to do to be fishers of men. I guess that's kind of the same thing. but um, And so he's calling back. If you read this chapter, you'll notice that there's a lot of things that you're going to see that we've seen before. And it's almost like we're replaying, we're replaying some of the episodes in John. But this time, Jesus is using them to show just how the disciples are going to live their lives now that Jesus is leaving. He's going to the Father. Uh, and you'll see all that. Uh, chapter 21, let's just begin and we're going to read, I don't know, we'll read till I quit reading. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Sea of Tiberias and the Sea of Galilee are the same thing. Okay, we got that. And on this wise showed he himself. This is how he showed himself. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I go a fishing. I don't know why it says a fishing, but it does. I am going, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into the ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. They fished all night. That's how they do it then. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Then Jesus said, Children, have you any meat? They answered, No. And he said to them, Cast your net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Have we heard that before? Where have we heard that before? When they when he first called Peter, what did he do? Peter and the sons of Zebedee. He said he sat and talked them in the boat. They said, "Let's launch out and go fishing." Peter says, "We've toiled all night and we've caught nothing." Jesus said, "Launch out into the deep," and they caught more than they could haul in. So here we see the same. It's the same. It's almost the same words. I mean, it's almost phrased the same way. Except Jesus tells them, just throw it out on the right side of the boat. And they recognize that it's the same. Because as soon as this happens...
happened and they caught, they started catching fish. If you look at the next verse, it says, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. And now Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked. He wasn't fishing like butt naked. He just didn't have a shirt on. Uh, and didn't and, and did cast himself into the sea. So, hey, what? Huh? How do you know he wasn't naked naked? He wasn't naked naked because the word there doesn't mean naked naked. It doesn't mean like... It means without shirt. Huh? tell you what it means, dead gummit. It means, in various syntactical categories, it means unclad, without clothing, which is naked, or ill-clad, not clothed enough, or clad in only your undergarments, or figuratively. It's a bunch of figurative uses. So, that's how I know any other questions? <laughs> I mean, I guess he could be out there naked, but... He... I'm... I'm pretty... No. I'm pretty sure... Wait a minute. I'm pretty sure the remedy for his nakedness, which is... Why are we even talking about this? The remedy for his nakedness was to put on the fisher's coat, not to put on drawers and, and everything. So, I wouldn't have been in the boat with him if he's naked fishing. I was like, this ain't one of them kind of fishing trips, Peter. Anyway, anyway, the point of the section is that it's re it's it's recapitulating it's it's echoing the first call he's they called the, he called the disciples at the very beginning with the miracle of the fish you know going out and hauling and and then he's going to commission the disciples here in this last chapter with the same miracle. It's like bookends on a, on a, on a chapter or on a book. He's bookending it. He's showing us that uh, this is how he's going to call. This is how he's going to send them. It's going to be with the same authority and the same power that he used when he called them. At the beginning, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so here is how he's going to do it. And it continues. Uh, he's going to, uh, you see that in the in the first section. Then they, they discover, they realize that it's him because, hey, we've been through this before. We've had this happen before. That's the Lord standing out on the beach. And so Peter jumps in the water uh, and he swims toward Jesus. The rest of the disciples haul the boat in with the fish, you know, toward Jesus. And they have a meal. And uh, the meal that they have there, they're going to have bread and fish. I'll read it in a second, but they're going to have bread and fish. And there's a line in here in the, in the text where it says, and he gave them the bread and the fishes. And it's the exact same phrasing, the exact same words that's used for the miracle of the five loaves and the two fishes. 
And so, what it's showing is the difference is the difference between the, that miracle and the the, the meal that they're going to have here is that Jesus tells them to bring some of the fish that they caught. It wasn't Jesus just miracling the fish. Yes, I did it again. It wasn't just Jesus, you know, poof, there's the fish. He was using the fish, he was using the disciples to bring the fish. Does that make sense? So he's showing them how they're going to be fishers of men. It says, where did we leave off? Eight. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land. They came, they brought the boat to the land, is what it's saying. But as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes, as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals. Remember that? That'll be important in a second. There, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus said unto them, Bring the fish. Now look, as soon as they landed, they saw the fire there. Jesus had made the fire. And on the fire were fish and bread. Okay? But Jesus still tells them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. He says, Bring your fish. And we're going to put your fish... With my fish. We're going to have fish. It says, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 153. And for all there were so many, yet the net was not broken. Jesus said unto me, Come and dine. And none of the disciples just asked him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? And then cometh Jesus cometh and taketh bread and give it to him and the fish likewise. Okay, so what you see is Jesus uh, shows up at the end before he's about to leave. And he reveals himself by the same miracle that he did when he called them. Uh, they brought the fish in, and instead of having five loaves and two fish where Jesus just multiplied the fishes and did all those things, he only had a few fish on the fire, and he told the disciples to bring their fish. So what does that tell you about the way that Jesus is going to operate through the disciples when it comes to bringing to being fishers of men? Does that make sense? Huh? Yeah, the disciples are going to do the work, but it's still going to be under the instruction of Christ. Because remember, he was the one who said, hey, throw your net to the right of the boat and you'll catch the fish. So they weren't doing it on their own. They were doing it under the authority of Christ. But they brought the fish in themselves. This is how they're going to be fishers of men. And the, the, the last part of this is where we're going to spend most of our time. Uh, the third thing that we see again that we haven't seen uh, that we saw before was is Jesus reinstating Peter. Uh, now look what it says. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll discuss it. Just these few verses. Uh, so when they had dined, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He's going to say that three times. He said to him again, second time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? He said, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. He said unto him, Then you feed my sheep. He said unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Now Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said to him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. What's that all about? Why did Jesus say it three times? Why did he say? Because Peter denied him three times. Not only did Peter, it's like the whole scene is being replayed. Because if you remember, 
it was a charcoal fire, it was a fire of coals around which Peter denied him three times. He denied him once as he was walking into the door of the high priest's courtyard. He denied him the other two times as he was sitting around a charcoal fire, a fire of coals is what it says in in this version, but uh, sitting around a a coal. So now here they are on a beach, uh, just seen another miracle of the the fish. Uh, They have dined with their Lord, fish and bread, and he asked him three times around a coal fire, do you love me? And he said, yeah, you know I love you. He said, well, then what are you going to do if you love me? You're going to feed my sheep. You're going to tend to my lambs. Now, is this just for Peter, just for preachers? Or is it for everybody? It's for everybody. So you, if you love him, then you'll feed his sheep. You'll tend to his lambs. You ever, I mean, you may notice that we put a lot of emphasis around fellowshipping and uh, being with each other and hanging with each other and being here to support one another. That's one of the last commands Jesus gave in, to his disciples was, if you love me, then you will feed my lambs. You will feed my sheep. You will tend to them. You will shepherd them. You will do these things. You will. That is how you will show your love for me is to love my bride. You know, that's what he's telling Peter. And he, it's basically, he's shown how the, the disciples are going to bring other disciples in, how they're going to be fishers of men. And now he's reinstating Peter. Think about it. Peter has not, Peter has seen Jesus risen from the dead before this time. But we have nowhere, there's nowhere written where they have a discussion about what Peter did. Except for right here. Um... If you had denied Jesus and then he resurrected from the dead and showed up, I mean, how do you think you would be feeling? Like a little scared. A little scared? I'd be ashamed. Like everybody else is rejoicing, and I'd probably be joyful that Jesus had, but I would be remembering every time I seen his face, I'd be remembering what I did. You know, that I didn't, especially since it was just a few hours earlier that Peter said, I'll never deny you. Even if all these deny you, I won't ever deny you. He denied him three times. Did the other disciples know that he did that? What? Denied him. Because he like, didn't call him out. That's a good question. I don't know. The only ones, the only ones that are mentioned as being there in the, in the high priest's courtyard are John and Peter. And there's no indication that John was with Peter, like standing right next to him. So I don't know. That's a good question. I'd have to research that no more. Um, but what he does here is he reinstates him, basically. I mean, he, he basically, he's shown them how they're going to be fishers of men. He's shown them, you know, you're going to, I'm fixing to send you out. You know, I'm fixing to do these things. Come and dine with me and bring the fish that you caught. He's fixing to do this. And Peter is probably still thinking, you know, uh, I, I don't, I'm not worthy. You know, I've denied you. I've... But that's a perfect picture of redemption. Definitely. And instead of just saying, Peter, it's okay, he replays the scene and and Peter does it right. That's probably not a great way to explain it, but he, he replays the, I mean, it's the exact scene. What time of day was it when Peter denied? But it was almost, it was almost, it was break of dawn because as soon as the last denial came out of his mouth, the rooster crowed. It's dawn. So here, if you look at the beginning of chapter 1, what time is it? It doesn't say. 
But they're fixing to it. it so no, it does. It does. It doesn't say that. And that night they caught nothing, so. Well, when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew that it was not Jesus. That's in verse 4. Okay, it's 4. Yeah, and then right before that, when the morning well, it was, it was daybreak. It was day, when, when day broke, when the dawn broke, Jesus stood upon the shore. And here they are sitting around a charcoal fire, the same kind of fire that was in. The high priest's deal. So it's like he's replaying the whole scene. And instead of asking him, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter said, no, I'm not one of his. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? He's probably talking about the disciples sitting around. Why would he say it that way? Remember what Peter said? At the Last Supper, Peter said, even if all these, you know, he's looking around like, I don't know about all these guys. You know, he, he was talking about the, the disciples sitting around the table. He was saying, even if all these men, you know, if, even if they all deny you and desert you, I'll never leave you. And so here Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than all these? And Peter doesn't answer the question specifically. He says, thou knowest I love you. He says, God, you, Jesus, you know that I love you. He said, well, then if you love me, you're going to feed my sheep. And then he says it again and again. And Peter doesn't get, I don't think he gets it really because he's grieved the last time. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, when you ask something repeatedly after about the second third time, you start thinking like, what's he implying here? Like, I walk in and Dana says, you know, did you go to, did you, was you at the Q-Bar today at 3 o'clock? Yeah, I was. Was you at the Q-Bar at 3 o'clock today? Yeah, I told you I was. Was you at the keyboard? <laughs> you know, it's like you're implying like, whoa, wait a minute. What, is, what does she know? Does she know that I wasn't at the keyboard? <laughs> Peter's like, Peter's like, you know all things. You're God. You know, you know everything. You know that I love you. He said, well, then feed, feed my sheep. But this time, Peter doesn't deny Jesus, but affirms Jesus. But this time, Jesus makes sure that Peter knows what's coming. See, the last time he did nothing, uh, Jesus said, hey, I mean, you're not even going to be able to carry the cup that I'm going to have to drink. And Peter said, look, all these guys deny, deny you. I'm going to stay with you. All these guys desert you. I'm going to be here even to death. And uh, Jesus said, you're, before the cock crow, you're going, to, you're going to deny me three times. Uh, Peter didn't understand what following Jesus meant, what being with Jesus meant, what, what that meant. So Jesus is going to explain it to me. He says in verse, uh, man, I turn all on order. It says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, explaining to Peter what following him is going to mean. He said, when thou was young, thou girdest, which means you clothe yourself, and walks whither thou wouldest. You walk wherever you wanted. But when thou be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee or clothe thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not, which means will take you where you don't want to go. He's saying, if you follow me, if you feed my sheep, if you love me, and you feed my sheep, and you give your life to feeding my sheep, um, you're going to die for it. You're going to suffer for it. You're going to live a life that you're, you're no longer in control of your life. And you're going to suffer for it. And they're going to eventually kill you. It says that in the next verse. It says, This spoke he signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. 
That's the exact thing that he told him that day at the boat where he said, I'll make you fishers of men. You follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So what he says is, do you love me? Peter says, yes, you know I love you three times. And then he said, if you love me and you feed my sheep and you give your life to me, you're going to suffer and you're going to die for it. And people are going to treat you different. And you just fill in the blank right there. You're going to go through all this persecution and all these things. He says, but you follow me. Now, if you're Peter, what's the first thing you're going to say after all after us that? Huh? <laughs> that what? Think yeah. about what Jesus went through. Yeah. The torture, the That's what you should do. But what are we going? What are most people going to do? They don't want to suffer. They don't want to suffer no. Huh? It's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. That's what we should do. No, people don't want to suffer. What Peter, what Peter does is what I probably would have done. He he turns and he Jesus just said, "You're going to die. They're going to kill you for what you just said. For if you follow me, if you feed my sheep, you're going to die." And Peter turns and looks at John and said, "What about him?" <laughs> he says, verse twenty said. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following which also was leaning on his breast at supper of the Lord, which said, "Lord, is it he that betrayeth thee?" All that to describe John. Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, "Lord, what shall this man do?" See that right in the midst. Of, I, you're Peter. Do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Well, if you feed my sheep and you love me, then you're going to die and you're going to suffer and you're going to go. Um, but this guy, what about this guy right here? I mean, he loves you too, don't he? And Jesus tells him something amazing. He tells, basically, he tells Peter. He said, "This guy is my job. You worry about you, and you don't worry about this guy." He, Jesus said unto him, "If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Thou follow thou me." Now, it says in this text, 23 and 24, or 23, it says that this has been misunderstood. Even in John's day, it was misunderstood. It says, then, then went this saying abroad among the brethren that this disciple should not die. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die. But if I will that he tarry. Jesus is giving him a hypothetical. He's saying, uh, it's not your business what I'm going to do with this guy. Uh, if if I desire that he live until I return the second time, that's none of your business. You follow me. That's what he's saying. So you see, John is ending his book here by replaying some of the scenes that we've seen in the book. He's but he's replaying them in a way that shows that all of all of what Jesus said is fulfilled, and now everything is pointing toward the task. That you and I and the disciples have to do the the miracle of the fish, uh, catching the fish was was I don't like using the word replay because it it, it it doesn't I mean it's it it's it's done again like a like a bookend to show that the fulfillment has taken place. Does that make that sounds better? Um, the fish, he said. What he commissioned these, when he commissioned them, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And it, he, he replays that miracle here in almost the very same format to show them, hey, you really are going to be fishers of men, and I'm going to show you how you do it. And then he sits them down, dines with them, and shows them that it's through their hands that men are going to be brought to him. It's not Jesus is not going to be... 
you know, uh, providing fish and bread for multitudes after He ascends to heaven. He's going to be using His church. He's going to be using His disciples in the world. He's going to be, the His hands and feet are going to be the people of God that go out into the world and, and spread His good news and share His message and, and, and show the works of God. And then He gives perfect and uh, irrevocable forgiveness to Peter who denied Jesus three times. He he reinstates him as uh, as a, an apostle, a disciple, one sent to uh, to go and and feed the sheep of God. He says, "Do you love me?" He, he denied him three times, and so Jesus replays that scene so that he will understand that I know that you denied me, but you got to stop wallowing in the guilt and you got to stop wallowing in all those things. He replayed that scene so Peter could affirm that he loved Jesus, and then he told him. Each time, if you love me, then you will go and you will feed my sheep. You will go and you would feed my lambs. You would go and you would do this. And so he did that and then he told Peter what was going to happen. He said, if you love me and you go feed my sheep, you are going to, uh, you're going to uh, uh, die. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to go through all these things. And then what? And Peter says, oh yeah, well, what about this guy? And then you, and he says, all you have to worry about is you. You understand, you, you, you worry about what kind of disciple you are in the world. I have trouble with that. That's like my deal, what? That's almost like what Jesus told in the parable, though, about the talents. The talents, yes. You know, or not the talents, but the... But the okay, what's it matter to you yeah. if I pay that guy the same? That's exactly right. The only thing that we should concern ourselves and I think why is that hard for you? Why do you say that that that's the problem what the problem you have? Why does that bother you? What do you mean? You, you just made the statement, you said I have a problem with that. Oh, I have a problem just So I'm trying not to try not to plead the fifth, but I have a problem looking at others and going, "Well, what about that guy? You know, why? Am I, you know, why am I having to go through this?" And, and of course, it's sinful. I'm not saying I, I don't say that it's an issue like, "Well, we all go through that." No, no, no. It's a sinful issue that you look at look at somebody else and say. Why am I having such a hard time and they rocking right along? You know, my deal is. Yeah, and you know, it's like when you uh, the more you, I don't know. You, you want to be, you know, you want to be. If you're a Christian, you want to be holy. You want to live holy, and you want to be more holy than you are. Uh, and the more the more you grow and see the perfection of Christ, the more you see your own sinfulness, the more you see how unholy that you are. And that hurts for a believer. Um, and so sometimes I long for the days of bliss when I thought I was perfect. <laughs> Ignorance is definitely bliss. but And then, you know, you just... I don't know. I, I always had a... I, work, I guess it's an issue, if you want to call it an issue, that 
it always referred to one of the disciples as the one Jesus loved. So I always thought Jesus loves some more than <coughs> No, that's just how John describes himself. I know, but, but, but you see what I mean? If you, you know, when you're first learning to study the Scripture, mm-hmm. and you come across that, you know, the disciple in whom Jesus loved, I'm thinking, well, crap, I'm damned. He loves people more than others. Right. You know? Well, he definitely loves his children in a different way. Oh, I know yeah. that. But, but... but John, John, he, he chose a favorite among his No, children. John purposefully refrain from putting his own name in the book out of humility or some other reason but he purposefully did that he he's um, he calls himself the one who Jesus loves because he was the one that was resting on Jesus's bosom at the last supper and all that Jesus kind of loved him enough to trust his mama to him. yeah he gave his mama to him. Well, you know what I mean when I say that that doesn't sound very humble what to say he loved me so much. Well, I'll let you take that up with John when you get there. Yeah, that. <laughs> what? Back to the text that, uh, and, the, and the story, uh, scripture about Billy going out on the boat all night and guys were fishing all night. And it's it's almost it's something that I thought it was like almost the fact that you know these guys are fishing when they can catch nothing all night, and this has happened before, but. But when Jesus came on the scene and, like I say, directed them, then they had the fruit uh, of doing what they were doing. Right. But until then, uh, there was no fruit of them fishing. Right. So on their own, they couldn't. On their own, they couldn't do. So that's what I was, yeah. I was thinking. Uh, as a Christian, I'm you, know, with you. And, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we try to do. But when, when Christ uh, engages our life and, well, he said that you can do nothing without me. And evidently, that includes fishing. So, I mean, and, the, and I think that was the point, really. Uh, there's been lots of discussions back and forth about whether or not uh, they were going back to fishing or they were just fishing, you know, to feed themselves or whatever. Um, but Jesus told them to go to Galilee. And Mark, he told them told Mary to tell them to go and wait for me in Galilee and I'll be and I'll be there and so they were obeying him by coming back to Galilee um, and then it was like well we're waiting for Jesus what are we gonna do well hey let's go fishing you know and so they went fishing and the point of the point of this deal is that now that you're a disciple now that you're a follower of Christ you're not even you're not gonna be able to go back to your old life without Christ you understand without him directing your past without him directing and instructing and all those things you're not going to be able to you can't just go back to being a fisherman you know what I mean you're you're a disciple now it, even if you're going to catch fish you're going to do it and you're going to do it by Christ's power that makes sense I think the the purpose of John the last chapter of John is to sum everything up into one coherent message showing pieces of the miracles that have happened before and reinstating Peter and showing him that the centrality of the message that he gives to you is the same that he gave to Peter. It says, if you love me, then you will feed my sheep. Then you will tend. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to preach. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to teach classes or anything like that. Um, people feed. You know, somebody can just see you uh, 
going through a hard time and how you come out the other end and it'd be inspirational for them. It'd be, it'd be uh, feeding their soul to watch how you handled something. It's sharing your life with someone. You could feed them, uh, tend to them, shepherd them uh, when they see how you live, when they see how you act, when they see, when they're in fellowship with you and they just, you know, they, they call it doing life. You know, when you just living together, not living together, but <laughs> living alongside each other. Does that make sense? Y'all know I'm talking about, right? Fellowshipping with each other. Right. That's why we do not forsake the fellowship of the believers. You cannot, you cannot, I mean, you cannot grow as a Christian. You cannot obey Christ. You cannot do anything in that regard if you forsake the fellowship of believers because that was what Jesus told him to do. You feed the sheep. You tend to my lambs. You, you. I'm going to be with the Father, and I'm leaving my bride here, and you're going to tend to my bride, and that's what you're going to do. And people are going to persecute you for it. And then the whole of the message is summed up in this final phrase. Uh, Peter says, well, what about this guy? And Jesus says, you know, you worry about your own self. And he says, you follow me. That's what he told the disciples when he first came across them. Follow me. Matthew, get out of your tax collector booth and follow me. James and John, get out of your fishing boat and follow me. You know, all the rest of the disciples, you follow me and I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. And here he shows them the ability, how they're going to have the ability, how they're going to have the practice and, and what they need to be fishers of men. And he says, you keep your eyes focused on you. Don't worry about what so-and-so is doing. Don't worry about if, you know... Somebody else has forsaken the assembling of themselves together. Somebody else has gone off into some sin. Somebody else has gone off and denied Christ. Somebody else is getting treated better than you or worse than you or whatever than you. He said, you don't worry about any of that stuff. You worry about you and you follow me. And that's what you do. He says, you love me, then you feed my sheep and you follow me. Make sense? You understand? Do you see how this kind of sums up the whole book? It started off with John the Baptist. Preaching about Jesus, talking about Jesus. Then Jesus shows up on the scene. He collects these disciples and does all these miracles showing who he is. And then he dies on the cross. The last, the, the last part of the whole book is just the last week of him teaching the disciples. And this is the final lesson that he teaches his disciples. Um, and it's about being fishers of men. It's about accepting the forgiveness that Christ offered, the same forgiveness He offered Peter. And it's about putting all that behind us and and following Him. I have a question. Okay. There may not be anything to it, but is there a significance about Jesus having bread there? Because that's not, is it something that they kept with them all the time? Or is it something He miraculously made? Because, I mean, they're on a beach... You know, yeah. and to make bread, you would need three or four ingredients. Yeah. Know. Well, they did. They did carry bread with them, like on journeys and when they were walking and stuff like that. Like already made bread. Um, I mean, I guess it's possible, but there's nothing in the text that makes me think he just miraculously made some bread right there on the spot. I, thought, I, mean, I just missed it. No, uh, there's nothing. I think. I think that he. You know. It doesn't say how he got the fish or the bread. I mean, it could be. It's very possible. It's not the first time he miraculously made fish or bread, but it just doesn't tell us. And it doesn't, there's nothing there that leads me to believe it was a miracle. But it could have been. 
He likes fish sandwiches. Likes fish sandwiches. Yeah. No, it, it was bread. But they did. They they baked bread. They carried bread with them like that when they went on the journey and stuff like that. Any other questions? Any comments? If you weren't here when we first started class, we're going to start in Galatians chapter 1. If you listen to me, the Galatians is an extremely important book when it comes to the law and the gospel. How how do we know if we're, you know, uh, so many times Christians want to go back and they try to put themselves under the law even though they don't realize that they're doing it. Uh, and when I say that, we still are under the law in the sense that I cannot, you know, I can't go murder somebody and say, you know, woohoo, it's good, I'm, grace has got me. Uh, but the penalty of the law has been paid so we don't, we don't live under the threat of that penalty anymore. Um, and Galatians is a short, short book.